Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. Well, hey, howdy, hey, friends. Welcome to another episode of Laugh It Up Fuzzball, episode 125. That's right. We're one quarter of the way towards getting towards 200 episodes. That's pretty exciting. Although, like, what, we do 52 episodes a year, so that, that means it's, next year I'll still be like, we're, 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 we're like almost three quarters of the way over, but we're not going to worry about the future stuff. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. Wow, here's to a new year full of geeky goodness for everybody. May all your resolutions succeed. May everything go great. May you work towards everything you want and get none of what we inevitably deserve. Um, how was your 2018? Mine, mine was good. It was great. And I'm totally enjoying all the free time that I'm currently having on break with no grad school. All that all that free time afforded to me is wunderbar. It's wonder. Wonderful. It's wonder. It is wonder. <laughs> but in the spirit of having time to catch up, I, I thought it was high time. I read a butt ton of comics and did did a little catch up. The catching up, you know, truth be told, 96 comics were read by me. And uh, the last time I talked comics really in a big batch was November 11th. And uh, considering that was just a couple trades, that was the last time I talked comics. Man, I, I should have talked more. But, you know, it really hasn't been since the last comic book catch-up, which I looked back. It was October 28th. And uh, I guess it seems that, that uh, giant-sized comic reviews, gigantic form, comical booklet looking is, is a new occasional episode. And that's okay. That's okay, because I appreciate appreciate the chance to, to catch up. So I guess the next one will be spring break. But anywho, it is a new year, but the same old me. But it's always fun to talk comical booklets. You know, hopefully you've made goals for 2019. I'm, I'm interestingly enough, trying to quit smoking. And uh, so far, so good, although I've probably been a little bit on edge. But not here, friends. This is it's just us talking, because I don't have to worry about any of you saying something to me where I'm like, because <laughs> I just get to talk into the giant snowball, the big white mic that still to this day makes me think of Marvin the Paranoid Android. But I, I know what you're probably thinking. What the heck, Wook? 2018 ended, and, and you didn't talk about the year that was. All, all you're going to do is talk about like 96 comics in a, in a long old episode that I might have to skip if I don't want spoilers for comics, even though I know you try your best, and I do, friends. I do. Have no fear. Danny, Blue, and me have a recording plan for tomorrow, and I think that will satisfy any urges you have for a 2018 review. Um, just just time-wise, we had to get together, and I mean, New Year's just happened. It's the 3rd of January today. So yeah, we'll 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 get it recorded, and then uh, this episode's up today on Thursday, and that episode hopefully will be up on Monday of next week. And I know, man, a, a a Thursday episode this week, and a and a, a Monday or Tuesday episode. The, I already said Tuesday, anyways, and Monday or Tuesday episode the following week. Could, could the fuzzball be getting back on schedule? And uh, I have no clue why you talk every once in a while in a, in a country accent like I do, but uh, but yeah. Yeah, that that's happening. And without further ado, 
Uh, let's just get to this episode before before we hit the 10-minute mark, huh? Does that sound good? I think it does. We're going to start with uh, one of the most recent comics I read, which I think really honestly might be the best new comic of 2018. And that is saying something since there, there are a ton of comics I thoroughly enjoyed. But The Immortal Hulk, issues 1 to 10... This, this comic is completely the fault of one of my homies on my local comic haberdashery, Jen. She was reading it and said how good it was and, and that they had the collected first five and then copies of the next ones. And hot dang, I am so glad I picked this up. I cannot speak highly enough about Hulk smashing and possibly being an immortal devil god on Marvel's Earth. And the whole run is writer Al Ewing. Issues 1 to 5 and 7 to 10 are pencils by Joe Bennett, ink by Roy Jose, and colors by Paul Mounts. Issue 6 is guest artist Lee Garbett. Issue 9 adds Martin Simmons for art for Carl Crusher Creel. And issue 10 includes extra inkers LeBeau Underwood and Rafael Fonteras. Anyone who read Civil War II should know what went down with Bruce Banner and Hawkeye. But the long and short... It was over the 56 years since the creation of the Hulk by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The Hulk has died and resurrected a bunch, as has many, many other superheroes. But now Al Ewing dives in to, to why that is. And it just truly brings great storytelling to us about the man and the monster that is Hulk. Even better, it's got stuff for Bruce Banner and the smart and angry green monster man. Every issue starts with a great quote. Since I read the first five issues in a collected trade, it also included uh, the opening sequence of Avengers issue 684, which gave a summary of Hulk stuff preceding this storyline. That was uh, written by Jim's uh, Mark Wade and Ewing, and then art by uh, Bennett and Jose. But in the ten issues of Incredible Hulk, or Indestructible Hulk, I should say, you get lots of contemplative thought about just who the Hulk is while he stops crime by night and transits as Bruce during the day. Lots of smashing. And there's lots of gamma radiation intrigue and, and Sasquatch from Alpha Flight and a reporter named Jackie McGee trying to track down Hulk with an agenda of her own. This whole thing is violently awesome and Hulk is so wonderful. I somehow forgot how much I like reading Hulk-centric stories. But you, as you know, I'm a, I'm a giant fan of giant hominids, so it really does make sense. At, at times, this comic includes wonderful horror vibes, and it is very graphic with lots of battle damage, and uh, the reveals of how powerful the Hulk really is now are, are so amazing. Issue 3 also just is totally bonkers with different comic styles for people telling stories about Hulk from their point of view. And what else? Let's see, there's a new version of Hot Shot. Um, I did mention Walter Lankowski, a.k.a. Sasquatch. Let me see. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, lots of goodness uh, between Sasquatch and Hulk. Uh, the running thread through all of this Hulk action is the mystery of the Green Door and the origins of Hulk-like heroes slash monsters in the Marvel Universe. Then there's Alpha Flight involvement and a new shadowy government project called Shadow Base. Yeah, shadowy. That's why it's called Shadow Base. But <laughs> It's led by General Reggie 14, or Fortian, who you probably know if you read Hulk. Also, the Absorbing Man, and one issue with Hulk talking on taking on the new Avengers, which goes to a total mad science, awesome palooza issue that follows it. That issue I'm talking about is issue 8. Well, it's hard to pick a favorite from the 10 I read. That is probably the best. Has the most horror vibes. Uh, the, the gist of everything is just so damn amazing and really gets at what makes Hulk stories that dive into his character. The cat's pajamas. The bee's knees. <laughs> the bee's knees. I've really tried to skim the outline of what happens in all this because it is new and really should be read. But seriously, check it out. 
Since we're in the land of Marvel, I also finally got around to catching up with X-Men Gold issues 6 to 12, 16 to 30, and annual number 1. Now, if you're wondering why those middle comics are cut out, you just got to go back to when I dived into X-Men Blue back on July 20th in episode 101, Welcome to the Palindrome, but I included those issues of X-Men Gold, uh, issues 13 to 15, since they were part of a crossover Mojo World storyline, which was fun. It was, it was good. Um, the entire story of X-Men Gold is written by Mark Guggenheim. Issue 6 is penciler R.B. Silva, inker Adriana De Benedetto, and colorist uh, Frank Martin and Andrew Crossley. As I go through all of these comics through this review, I'll just talk about art as we get to it, I'm pretty sure. Um, basically, issue issue 6 wraps up... Uh, uh, the X-Men team of Kitty Pride, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Prestige, and Old Man Logan fighting a new type of nanobot sentinel. It's got way more with Avengers and Amadeus chose Hulk and more fighting the threat and its purpose. Um, and, and really, the the point of this issue is drama for Prestige, uh, even though there is lots of stuff for the big bad. It does lead to some stuff for Colossus that has to be dealt with in later issues. Issues 7 and 8 Art by Ken Lashley, colored by Frank Martin. And and this is where X-Men Gold ties into the entire Cap is Hydra and Secret Empire stuff. Has a team dealing with a mutant killer in their mansion in Central Park. Yes, the mansion is in Central Park now. It is, it's good stuff, even if you don't completely get the killer's motive and other than a cursory way. I did like the awkward romance stuff for Kurt and Rachel Summers. Really, really good Logan, Storm, and Nightcrawler stuff and the whole Darkhold dimension covering New York City. And Kitty Pride is awesome. But I, I like her character, and I especially like her character as leader of the team. Issue 10 is Lashley and Martin with Frank martin also on color we get more romance for kitty and colossus while miss pride has to go to washington to defend the rights of mutants against a congress set on deporting them also more dating for kurt and rachel plus the inevitable bad guy and anton vanko aka whiplash no you don't get the character for iron man 2 but it is the same character uh, the tag for this issue uh leads to issues 10 and 11 where the team heads to Russia to face down a resurrected Omega Red and the familial past of Colossus and Magic. Art is here, uh, let's see, pencils by Lan Medina, ink by Jay Lyston, Craig Young, color by Frank Martin. It, it's brought for thugs now with magical powers and an uncle for Peter and Ileana Rasputin. The, be the best is just Old Man Logan versus Omega Red, but there's goodness for all the characters, plus uh, Peter's issue that I talked about is finally dealt with, as well as the romantic tension between him and Kitty. Issue 12 is uh, weird since it's basically all about the CNG, which stands for Creepy New Guy. It's this uh, non-mutant from when they fought the new, the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants back in issues, uh, I think it was 1 to 3. But uh, this issue just tells you exactly who this guy is, where he came from, how he got hooked up with Lydia, Nancy, Mesmero, and up to where he'll be in future stories, which is a nice segue to issue 16 to 20 and a storyline called The Negative War. Combined art for this is pencilers Lan Medina and Diego Bernard, inkers Jay Lyston, Craig Young, and J.P. Meyer, artist Ken Lashley, and colorist Frank Martin, Andrew Crossley, Juan Fernandez, Arif Prianto, and Chris Sotomayor. If you haven't figured it out by now, X-Men Gold is a totally rotating crew of artists, but it really is pretty cohesive. I think from story to story, you can just read along. I'm sure some people probably don't even realize that, that the artists changed so tremendously. Uh, the name of the CNG, like I said, I think is Kulagoth, 
and uh, his forces from the negative zone, they come to Earth, but the result is Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler getting taken away. So, you know, of course, the X-Men are going to like that. So Old Man Logan leads the X-Men, which also includes Ink and Armor now, to get them back. And then courtesy of Blue Marvel and some Reed Richards specs, we get uh, get a spaceship that is uh, able to take them to action on the planet Darteus, which is really great. Uh, the Nightcrawler stuff in these issues is some of the best so far. But and I, I really like the battles. Um, it does get a little silly with a giant behemoth god named Scythian in the middle. But C.S. Lavi, these are comics, and uh, we are totally out of regular reality in the negative zone. Why not fight a giant god and make people think of battles of other, other supers versus giant-sized things, i.e. Galactus? Why not include survival after crash landings to make the ending a whimper rather than a roar? Yeah, that I think that's my only critique of this particular storyline. It just sort of ends, and you're like, okay. I guess it was still fun, I suppose. There's still good character moments within and the romance of Kits Putin. Yeah, Kits Putin. Uh, plus, I always enjoy the Old Man Logan stuff. I think uh, one of the reasons I, I was enjoying X-Men Gold so much uh, was because of Old Man Logan. And, and that's maybe the reason I began to turn away from wanting to read this comics after this. Because Old Man Logan leaves at the beginning of issues 21 and 22. This is... Uh, Pencils by Diego Bernard, ink by J.P. Meyer, and color by Arif Prianto. Bye, Logan. I will miss you. But uh, the story brings back Mesmero, Avalanche, and Pyro. And, of course, they're going to end up fighting the X-Men. But yay for uh, Rachel, a.k.a. Prestige, being back and looking like her hound self now. Magma uh, joins in also to fight a Mesmero who is going to mess with all of their noggins because that's what he does. I'll say this. Even without Logan, uh, Mark Guggenheim did a good job turning the tables on me, surprising me with the way this comic went down. Probably should have seen it coming, but thankfully I did allow it to trick me. Um, I, it's usually it means you're pretty pretty into the story when like you don't see an obvious twist like that. The story does break here for annual number one with Leah Williams joining Guggenheim's writing. Pencils are Aletha E. Martinez with ink by Martinez and Craig Young. Colors by J. David Ramos and Dono Sanchez Almara. I place this here since annual, annual said it goes between issues 22 and 23. Even if that doesn't really make any sense, uh, it does make sense later when a couple characters show up. But it doesn't make sense with the way the issue 22 ends. Anywho, comics, I will admit I have never read Excalibur. But if you if you enjoyed Excalibur and wanted to see Kitty, Kurt, and Rachel fight with Captain Britain and Megan Braddock again, then you will enjoy the story. Captain Britain's beard is epic. And uh, there's always a baby. Oh, not always, but there's also a baby involved. And uh, the Revenge of Starhammer, who who I met in this comic, but I'm sure people who read Excalibur are like, oh, I know who Starhammer is. Cool. It, it's cute. X-Men dealing with parenting and super smart babies against old enemies is entertaining. Um, I think what's best about the annual really is it's two stories. The first story, you know, has all that all that Excalibur goodness, while the second story is uh, all about a fangirl of Storm who just wants to meet her. It includes Fing Fang Foom. Moloids and Gigantis, written by Monty Nero, art by, sorry, it's D-J-I-B-R-I-L, so Gibral Morissette Fan, and color by Michael Garland. This is super sweet, and totally worth checking out the issue just for, for these pages at the back. Um, it's it's good, it's, it's enjoyable, and it, it really, it deals with uh, fandom, and, well, fandom at least on the, all these superheroes are real level, and then, uh, and then Storm, Storm, uh, 
deals with uh with having a, a fangirl too that's tracking her down with her mom it's it's really good uh full admission after this point i i thought i'd drop in the comic but i didn't take it off my pull list since I, uh, I just didn't take it off my pull list. I left it on there. So the issues kept piling up. And I'm like, I don't know. I need to catch up with X-Men Gold and decide whether whether I'm going to keep it. And then uh, I didn't. <laughs> and and then I saw the wedding issues, the possible wedding for Kitty and Colossus. And I deliberated. And then I got a little bit of extra money. So I kept it. And I decided to, to stick with it until I found out what happened. And uh, I'm not mad since since the issues are good enough, but from here I was I was sort of slogging through towards having wanting to know you know whether Mister and Mrs. Rasputin was a thing. Issues 23 to 25 are by Tony Silas. Um, in 23 and 24, pencils by Paolo Secura and Jose Luis, and then ink by Sam Smith and Victor Olazaba. Olazaba in 30. Arif Prianto does colors on all three, uh, but is joined by Marcio Menez in 24 and Java Tartaglia and Juan Fernandez in issue 25. Um, the events versus Mesmero have resulted in the incarceration of the X-Men with ladies and gents separated so we get that prison stuff which includes uh, an appearance by Callisto. Iceman shows up to temporarily lead the Xavier Institute for Mutant Outreach along with Rogue and Magic uh, while our regular regular uh, heroes are fighting mutants that hate them in the box which is the nickname of the prison that they're in. Bobby lets the uh, new Pyro join the team and, and Pyro that version appeared in, in previous, the, the whole Mesmero stuff that sort of got him into this problem in the first place. Uh, we get action for, for the current team of X-Men with the others jailed up against the Shredded Man. Uh, where this story is awesome Ist is when Storm is put in solitary. Uh, all of that, I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Don't, don't, don't trap Storm. Always a bad idea. Also, I did like, <laughs> it's funny because I didn't like like it so much in the negative war, but I enjoyed them bringing back gigantic Scythian to be contended with to fix the whole prison deal and also bring Captain Britain and Megan into the story, making the annual make a little bit more sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess maybe I like my giant monsters on Earth more than I do out in the negative zone. Uh, and also, they, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> I started thinking maybe what I was going to say is a spoiler. So it, it's lots of X Men crash bang boom goodness. It, it's lots, lots, and lots. And uh, it's fun. Uh, and then we cue the wedding bells for the next six issues. First up, X Men The Wedding Special number one, which gives us three stories. Uh, one is by Chris Claremont, uh, with art by Todd Knock, color by Rachel Rosenberg. This is the history of Kitty Pride as she deals with her upcoming marriage and 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 her thoughts about, you know, finally finally settling down. And <clears throat> it's awesome. It's so dang great. You get Kitty trapped in an egg, being picked by Xavier, trained as a samurai ninja, Lockheed, Ghost of the Past, and so much more. It really, really is wonderful. Uh, the next story is Mark Guggenheim with art by Greg Land, ink by Jay Lyston, and colored by Jason Keith. Colossus, Nightcrawler, Iceman, Pyro, and Gambit are out for a bachelor's party in Las Vegas, as you do. And of course, things are going to go wrong, and then it's going to include a demon fight, and then it's going to set up story for the next issue. You know what I mean? So when you find them in the next issue at the bachelor party, you're like, oh, okay. And then when they make a mention to something, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I read that. Uh, the last story is writer Kelly Thompson, artist Marika Cresta, color artist Frederic Robley, 
Colossus got his party. So now Kitty gets to do Stripper Rookie with Rogue, Storm, Magic, Prestige, and a whole bunch of other ex-ladies. There's a bonus fight with a baddie from previous issues and lots of fun for the girls as Kitty thinks about marriage. Really not bad. Uh, it, it, the wedding special... It was it was good. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, we then get into the five part till death do us part wedding story issues twenty six to thirty. Marcus Bandini and Geraldo Borgia switch off for the first four issues as artists with Arif Prianto coloring, and then issue thirty is art by David Marquez, colored by Matthew Wilson. What to do? But what to do if you're an ex person? But track down Mesmero. Um, because you have issues with him and he has caused some troubles. And then, uh, then you discover that his old employer, Lydia Nance is now working with the mutant Sentinel advanced artificial intelligence merged with nanotech. And yes, all those words strung together is literally me quoting straight from the issue. Uh, there was a big change for storm previously, which is really fun to watch. And the X-Men all deal with a hiccup to the wedding plans, courtesy of said Sentinel, their savage land battling. And I'm reminded how the the first storyline I talked about in issue five was a lot of fun uh, when I totally got into this series and uh, and and when they were fighting the the Sentinel nanotech and and plus it goes down in the Savage Land and I mean I was watching Aquaman and I thought a scene might be in the Savage Land and Heather can vouch for my silly excitement while while the Aquaman stuff wasn't. Yes, Savage Land. I'm always a fan when it shows up in the comics. Uh, anywho, we get Vance and the Sentinel with their anti-mutant plans. And then, uh, of course, X-Men are out to stop it. You know, things might be dire when you hear the term legacy virus mentioned. But that's probably not what you think. Although, although you know, it is connected to the whole X-Legacy virus thing. I can say I didn't know the story uh, would be in space by issue 28. <laughs> I didn't, but it was. And then there's the Triskelion and Puck of Alpha Flight, Dire Straits for the Possible Groom, a powerful hero wielding a hammer, more Alpha Flight characters, and you know things have to win to some degree since we have to get to the wedding. All I'll say about the wedding is that it goes down much differently than you might expect and not in a Danny Spoiled Batman sort of way. There is indeed a wedding, uh, but you got to read the issue, at least issue 30, to see to see how it goes down, to see how all of the action and craziness uh, tied into the love story of Kitty Pride and Peter Rasputin and how it pays off. It was it was a lot of comics, but um, I left satisfied at the end. And it's, it's not the best of the year, but it, it was good. And if you enjoy X Men, uh, I do. But uh, if you enjoy it more than I do, you'll probably really really like this X Men Gold. And of course, X Men Gold started with a controversial like anti uh, anti semi artist. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I thought it was good. It, it sort of makes me wonder. I've heard X-Men Red is really, really amazing. I haven't read it. That's probably something I'll have to see if somebody has that I can borrow or collect it and trade at some point when I'm a rich man, when I am a rich man. But of course you catch up on X stories and then you're just itching to read more. So I finally got to doing all the return of Wolverine issues that I'd been pulling. I did not realize that this pile had gone so big. Um, but, uh, you know, it's okay. Cause it was dang pleasant to read. It starts with the really, really big hump for Wolverine, two different stories written by Charles soul. One with art by David Marquez and Rachel Rosenberg, other art by Paolo Sakira, Walden Wong and Ruth Redmond. Wolverine died. Uh, spoiler, I guess, but how how would you not know? But but that's not going to keep Reavers from trying to upgrade themselves with his sweet sweet metal, which presumably should be in his hidden memorial. Uh, I guess spoilers, but 
you know, Wolvie died encased in adamantium. Uh, it does make for a sick-looking vigil to commemorate his Canadian heroism. Of course, his ex-buddies won't be kind on grave robbers, so it all goes down in a big way. And there's panels showing the morning friends of Logan, which is also great. The point is, Wolverine is maybe far from dead, and and despite great character moments, now people got to find him. And that's where the second story comes in, uh, setting up the second story in this, The Hunt for Wolverine, which just sets up the four four-parters that are uh, The Hunt for Wolverine. And uh, I did I did collect all those, and I put them in the order of publication just for ease of story. So first up, Hunt for Wolverine, Weapon Lost, Issues 1 to 4, written by Charles Soule, art by Matteo Bufagni, and colored by Jim Charolampidis. By far... My favorite of the four different stories, and not just because it's classic detective stuff featuring Daredevil. It also has Cypher, Misty Nye, and Frank McGee, the Inhuman. Daredevil gets to to help look for Wolverine as a disinterested party, and look he does. Besides the searching for different leads, it also somehow deals with internet addiction, courtesy of Cypher. And then there is a Wolverine appearance of sorts, plus a mention of Soterra which uh, will come up a lot in other searches. Uh, Really, the best part is the chemistry between characters and that Daredevil is successful in a way. And also, just the Daredevil is in in the comic books. Man, I really like this part of the story. And if anything, it just convinced me that I I need to, when Charles Soule's Daredevil run is collected, I just got to get it and I got to read it because Charles Soule is amazing and so does Daredevil. Next up, Hunt for Wolverine, The Adamantium Agenda, issues one to four, written by Tom Taylor, pencils by Arby Silva, inked by Adriana Benedetto with Silva and color by Jesus Abertov and Guru EFX. Here is Iron Man, Spider-Man, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones in on the case. And uh, the best thing is how this ties into when they were all on an Avengers team with Wolverine and the backstory, which is told through the, throughout the four issues, which explains their interest in finding old Six Claw's body or him alive or dead uh, is amazing. To that end, uh, for the current time stuff, you get black market auctions on submarines, Mr. Sinister, uh, the current Wolverine and Laura Kinney, really great Iron Man suits for the team and lots of DNA talk. It's really, really good. But the heart of this is the backstory from way before Wolverine's death. Hunt for Wolverine, Claws of a Killer, issues 1 to 4, written by Mariko Tamaki, pencils by Butch Guise and Mark Chater, ink by Cam Smith and Chater, and color by Dan Brown and Jordan Boyd. What happens when Doc and Lady Deathstrike and Sabretooth find out Logan might be alive? Well, zombies, of course. (laughs) No, no, I'm serious. Zombies of a sort. And the more mentions uh, more of the mysterious Soterra, this is really the only one of the four hunts that actually shows a positive proof of Wolverine potentially being alive. But I guess Daredevil kind of did too. You know, throughout these, it's still a mystery about whether he is alive. Uh, this one is just zombie fun with bad guys looking to kill Wolverine. Uh, kill teams and mystery and zombies. Do I really need to say anything else? It's also probably the issue with the most bleeped out word bubbles. Uh, the best things here are ghosts of characters past and just really wondering what in the world is going on in this Arizona town that the trio find themselves in. It's bloody and good and necessary for stuff that goes down later. As the baddies say in this hunt, it will be useful. And uh, yeah, it, it will be. And of course, this is this is the one where I was like, yeah, this Soterra stuff's bad. Real, real bad. Um, hunt for Wolverine, Mystery and Madripoor, issues one to four. This is written by Jim Zub, art by Tony Silas, and color by Felipe Sobrero. Leonard Kirick and Andrew Crossley join in on art and, uh, and color on the last issue. Um, so once upon a time, Wolverine was Patch of Madripoor. 
And uh, now the ex-ladies who have loved him or loved him either uh, physically or spiritually are off to the island in Southeast Asia. And as the comics intro says, you got teammates, lovers, and protégés looking for Wolverine. Uh, it was the my least favorite of the four hunts, but there is goodness to be found with Psylocke, Kitty Pride, Jubilee, Storm, Rogue, and Domino in Madripoor. Most of it, um, most of it is when they profess their feelings and, and flashback to times with Logan and really neat sequences. Uh, the X ladies certainly dress to impress. They dress up real nice, and uh, and why not when you're gonna end up battling Viper's own squad of powered women and. Knockout, Sapphire Sticks, Mind Blast, Snake Whip, and Bloodlust, which are all great names. I also really like seeing Viper after all the Secret Empire Hydra stuff. Back to her, her regular Madripoor ways. And before I forget, Magneto does figure into this story as well. Not sure what it had to do with finding like Logan, but oh well. It, uh, it Just uh, to add a new piece of the puzzle to Sotera stuff. But uh, there are moments where you get to see Wolverine as Patch, and they are, they are very good. Uh, like I said, Soteria is wrapped up in for a tie-in. Um, it, it is sort of sad that towards the end, I felt like uh, it took a dude to fix a problem that a whole bunch of ex-ladies got caught up in, which is probably the reason that I wasn't the biggest fan of this. Uh, maybe I just read it wrong, because I, I, I went back and looked, and I was like, okay, yeah, they do get to do stuff. Um, there are lots of lady fights for anyone interested. Um, but, you know, I'm, I shouldn't be too down on this because there is some really, really interesting stuff that goes down with Psylocke. And uh, overall, these four four hunts, all the hunt for Wolverine stuff is intensely satisfying. Covers a lot of backstory for Mutant 9601. And all the stories wrap up in Hunt for Wolverine, Dead Ends, written by Charles Soule, art by Ramon, Ramon Rosanas, colored by Guru Effects. Yet Kitty, Tony Stark, and Matt Murdock all comparing notes of rockets to space, genetic code, zombies, and evil actions for a returned Wolverine that leads to a big team-up to stop mysterious objects from space. Uh, and when I say big, yeah, because all, all the characters that have been involved through these hunts, with the exception of uh, our baddies, meaning uh, Sabretooth and Lady Deathstrike, all, all go to stop these uh, mysterious objects. Kitty Pride does win the award for, for coolest coolest uh, actions in this. And then the big bad behind everything is revealed. Uh, Persephone is not the scariest name, but, but she's deadly serious. And that's a bad pun after you read the issue. But with all that done, you, then you finally get to go to Return to Wolverine, Issues 1 to 3, Wolverine is back, baby, and there is still lots of mystery to unravel. All these are written by Charles Soule. Issue 1 is pencils by Steve McNiven, ink by Jay Lyston, and color by Laura Martin. And while we don't know how Wolverine was brought back to life yet, we do know the organization who masterminded it has all sorts of things up their sleeve. And now somehow Logan has escaped from custody after lots of bloody battle and teaming up with a scientist named Anna for revenge. <laughs> also includes... The most badass fight with Sabretooth in a long time. Issues 2 and 3 switch start by Declan Shalvey. Um, we're headed to Persephone's Island to maybe get back Anna's son. Maybe for some payback for Logan. And probably both. But not before Wolvie has to fight Omega Red and Dawkin on a speedboat. Seriously, that happens. It's really good. And I guess I should have mentioned that this resurrected Logan has no memories. So there's lots of good moments for flashback. It is rad, rad, radical stuff. Um, and that should be expected from Charles Soule. There's also a big reveal about Logan's new power that you may have heard about on the internet that I'll keep mum about for now. It's really different for sure. Uh, then we get to Soterra Island and the X-Men finally show up. 
That's uh, Kitty Storm, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, and Iceman. My favorite part is Kurt Wagner's manly beard. He has a great beard. I don't know. I just love superheroes that are bearded. I, uh, I think that's great. Uh, heck to the yeah. It's Wolverine versus X-Men. And then uh, Wolvie, you know, inter- interior monologue in talk- or maybe flashback memory. And I don't know. He's talking to versions of himself that I'm not sure are real or not. Uh, there, there are lots of stuff through this Return of Wolverine where you're like, is that real? Is it not? Uh, it is. It's really good. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but unfortunately, it ends on a big old cliffhanger. One thing's for certain, I'm totally in on this comic, even if I feel bad for Lady Wolverine, who's been apparently rocking it this whole time that Logan's been gone, and now he's back, so we'll see what that means for her. Laura Kinney, I'm, I'm sure you were great. I just didn't read any of your stuff. Uh, my verdict is still out on the new new power for Wolverine, but hopefully the reveal makes it okay. Uh, I think I'm just hoping that he goes back to normal, but uh, I'm interested in, in what's going on with him now. T- time's gonna tell i want to see how this fight with x-men goes down for sure thankfully i i did uh catch up on all these even though i I still have a whole short box of comics that i have not read that i need to get to but uh it's okay um because i I did some catch up and i still have some time to read some more comics um now to go to comics that i've kept up with fairly reasonably we're gonna stick with marvel and go to some star wars comics Darth Vader issues 23 to 25. We're still um, doing amazing Charles Soule here. 23 and 24 are layouts by Giuseppe Camincoli. Finishes by Danielle Orlandini and colors by David Curiel and Dono Sanchez Almara. 25, still Camincoli on breakdowns of pencils. Cam Smith now on ink. Orlandini on finishes. And David Curiel, Dono Sanchez Almara, and Eric Arseniega on color. The entire building of Vader's castle on Mustafar keeps on through this and uh and why it ended up designed as it was and what that purpose what the purpose for that is all all dealing with the amazing weirdness of the dark side force ghost of momen and he threw a sith mask artifact you learn much more about mustafar and vader just he gets to be great even better you learn you learn stuff about momen and then there's lightsaber fights and and development for a vader character he might have thought it was completely fleshed out, but there, there's more as Soul Rocks this comic and and a bunch of other comics, honestly. But this this Darth Vader run is just too damn fun. It the art's gorgeous and there's action and intrigue, and uh, really the only negative that I could think is is that that I knew it was going to end after after 25 issues. But what a last issue it was, friends. Vader deals with all his demons and past exploits. And uh, there's Padme stuff to tear your heart out. Also a big canon reveal for Palpatine and Vader, which sort of blew my mind. Especially the fact that it was included. Um, there's young angsty, or, uh, young angsty Anakin. Are you an angel? And then older angsty Anakin. Uh, and, Dream about my mother. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just, that's not even how it goes. But of course, Darth. Vader, uh, yes, it, it, oh, it, it I'm, I'm lost my train of thought, but um, the way the artists draw, uh, Anakin's scarred form is so super cool, um, and th- there's even ties in into the sequel movie stuff in this comic, 
uh, really, really, really good. And in Mission Time, this is this is a comic. This issue 25 is a comic I bought from my store and read in the parking lot before driving away because I had to know how the run finished it. And I was so delighted as I read it. I read it a second time in the parking lot. People probably like, what is that giant man doing just leaning up against that Nissan Rogue uh, smoking a cigarette? This is when I smoked. This is before I quit. And, and, and reading a comic book and then he read it again. What a loser. And you know what? They were right about a lot of that except not a loser because I was winning. As I read this, where Vader is so powerful and the dark side has so many interesting things to explore. And and seriously, friends, if you slept on this comic, do yourself a favor and dive in when it's all done and collect it in a righteous trade. Mustafar Madness, friends. Mustafar Madness. But even more, because when it's collected, it's going to be everything that went down. And Charles Soule does it again. Really, really marks his spot. Is probably my favorite writer of the last year. If it wasn't for Hulk, this would be my favorite comic, honestly. Uh, but it's almost a tie. It really is almost a tie. I think just because uh, you know, yeah, it wasn't Darth Vader wasn't perfect, but it was it was perfect for me. Uh, but an indestructible Hulk. Oh, that was so good. Anywho, uh, Doctor Afra issues twenty five to twenty seven, all written by Cy Spurrier. Um, the Issue 25, art is Pencils by Kev Walker, ink by Mark Deering, color by Java Tartaglia. I've often talked about this wild and wonky tale, um, t- all these tales written about Chelly Afra, but sometimes the stories for the archaeologists also go dark, dark, dark. Nothing like the threat of Lord Vader to speed that along include everything at a Kresker prison. There's a mind-wiping board creature and scary Vader and uh, love and sadness plus murder droids and sonastaros and even a conclusion for the force inspected spores the end is just the darkest stuff and uses a character that's been mentioned in the series to really great effect it makes you realize that some some characters shouldn't be taken at face value and sometimes good writing is just good writing even when it's sometimes goofy and zany i wonder how witty and crazy it can be 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 now now that it's going on to this new story but the good news is Spurrier finds a way to deal with Vader stuff while also leaving open ends for relationships with characters if he wants love hurts in this particular issue and poor Afra is in for some much tougher times ahead of her issue 26 and 27 are by Emilio Lasso color by Rachel Rosenberg the way the last issue ends is picked right up and Afra and Trip Zero are stuck together working on a plan um, and uh, it's it's extra goodness. The force that propelled this story also plays in the tale. I, should, I shouldn't say the force when I'm talking about Star Wars. The, the bad guy that propelled this story uh, plays into it. Uh, it is righteous murder protocol machine versus witty playing for her pain for her choices. Radical space archaeologist action. Uh, and it plays out in front of all of us. It's wild and wacky, and uh, and and more dealing with her wanting to be better with a droid that doesn't, and is happy to murderize the entire ga- galaxy. I would describe this all just—it's wonderful. And my favorite thing is how it's narrated, how outside characters can be both uh, vested and threatened by the actions of Afra and Trip. Um, it's it's just one of those stories that you're like, okay, this is pretty wild, and it can't get wilder, but it can, and then they'll find ways to incorporate monster hunters from the annual and win, loss, and knock, and, uh, you know, it's always good to have Trandoshan goodness, and then the planet of Milvane gets weirder with uh, social politics, as well as uh, 
murderless trip in Afra down under where there's a delightful quabber worm written by a young scavenger girl. And there's also more returning characters from the whole space prison stuff to add intrigue and a cliffhanger to another fun Afra romp. Hooray, Simon Spurrier, who now apparently wants to be credited by that name because he went by Cy Spurrier and everything else. But in uh, this last issue, he <clears throat> he decided he wants to be called Simon. So, uh, good job. I think being called Simon's fine. The only name I would never want to be called is Alvin because inevitably a white man would yell at me. Um, Star Wars issues 56 to 58, written by Karen Gillan. Issue 56 is art by Andrea Brocardo and colored by Guru EFX. Son of Staros is helping Leia, Han, and Luke who are avoiding the Empire after the climactic events that barely left any rebellion left. While they try to regroup in the future, they're on the run and readers get to see lots of aliens they'll recognize, plus Sana awesomely piloting her Volt Cobra, and then a plan that seems smooth being upended by the Empire, as it does. Uh, this leads to a mystery on a moon in the Dinglois Cluster, which includes giant carnivorous monsters and cool armored residents, which leads to a surprise ending that you may not expect. Of course, this story continues uh, in future issues, and it's never bad to enjoy Han, Leia, and Luke. Um, Gillen, Kieran Gillen really gets these characters when he writes them. In issue 57 and 58, the art is now Angel Unzueta and Guru EFX on color still. And the mystery of Huben plays out, allowing for new forms of existence within a galaxy dominated by the Empire. New characters for Leia, Han, and Luke to interact with, plus luxury and mounted Rancor heads and space bars and sexy Han shirtless and Thanrax that are basically giant scary space bears and while we don't get answers about whether our favorite trio is in a safe place it is fun and and then Cliff hangs wonderfully with the new Thane of Hubin whose name is Marcana. Uh if you're going to be stuck on a planet where Han can be shirtless uh, there's wild Thanrax and the daughter of, a, of the leader to crush on if you're Luke you're going to have to get to know you know more about where you live uh, find out backstories for the people there and uh, find out that backstories sometimes are connected to the Jedi. Leia and Han uh, might enjoy the chance for relaxation, but Luke's going stir crazy. But uh, at least Luke gets some weapons training in the last issue since the Thane Marcana is a great warrior. Also time with his daughter Tula. But don't take it. There's, there's nothing dirty. Um, it's always... He's a, he's an innocent farm boy, friends. Uh, the end leaves a lot of questions, but... I was thrilled with Leia's reveal. Never underestimate the last daughter of Alderaan. Don't do it. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a little different, you know. I I thought the first issue with them with Sana was really good, and then I'm like, wow, okay, wow, we're on a new weird planet. But it, it's fun. It's fun. They're telling they're telling these stories, you know, between between uh, a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and I think they're they have to be getting close to uh, to Empire now. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I uh, <laughs> it, it's carrying on. Sometimes, sometimes it's a little weird, but they're fun comics. They're enjoyable, and they are canon. So if you're a big Star Wars nerd like me, it's it's good good to know what's going on. Um, we're gonna go keep going with some Star Wars. Han Solo, Imperial Cadet issues one and two. So yes, I know uh, lots of people did not like the Solo movie from this year, but I did. And when I found out there was gonna be a five issue run detailing Han's time in the Imperial Flight Academy, I was ready for the story. I wanted to catch up on those three years between Corellia and Muddy Mimbon. This is written by Robbie Thompson, art by Leonard Kirk, colored by Arif Prianto. And is it just me, or does does Arif Prianto's name pop up a lot? He is a busy colorist. 
Anywho, this is a life in the Creed Academy where you know Brash and Cocky Solo is going to get along great with all of his fellow cadets and uh, the staff who work there. What I particularly enjoy is the new characters, Kanina Nico, Leiden and Tamudri, training officer Triosa Briggs, and there are others. Even better is more backstory stuff for Hanikira. This comic has Imperial military training montages and also flying of TIE fighters and just a solo character being great and and his performance in the comics matching both Harrison Ford and Alden Ehrenreich in my opinion take that for what you will personally I think it's all fun totally worth reading even better it's just five issues so it's going to be a concise story I look forward to more of it uh, the next two comics are the beginning of the one shots that Marvel is doing for the prequel original and sequel time period so we're going to talk about Star Wars Age of Republic Qui-Gon Jinn and then Star Wars Age of Republic Darth Maul let's just say this they found a way to take one-issue stories and do great jobs with the characters so far. Qui-Gon Jinn, written by Jody Hauser, pencils by Corey Smith, ink by Walden Wong, color by Java Tartaglia. Qui-Gon's just seeking to find balance in his life, and that, that works from a mission to stop a civil war, and then goes to a personal journey where his faith in the Jedi and the Force is tested. Bonus glimpses a young Obi-Wan, panel time for Yoda, and it... It's all an interesting an interesting story, providing some insight into Qui-Gon's thoughts on the Jedi and the dark side. I really, I really enjoyed it. And then I got to read the comic that I, I not only enjoyed, I loved Darth Maul, written again by Jody Hauser, art by Luke Ross, and Tartaglia still doing color. This issue connects so well to the Darth Maul miniseries that I read a while ago. He's still super angry, itching to take down the Jedi, and his methods of curing his bloodlust is, is really good. And the beauty of beauty of this comic is events that go down on Malachor and a Force Vision for Darth Maul. So Qui-Gon gets his Force Vision, so does Darth Maul. Lots of lessons for the Sith. And overall, just a fun read centered on the baddest bad guy of the prequels. So far, Age of Republic is not disappointed, and here's to more. Um, but that is all the Star Wars to talk about. But there are a couple more Marvel comics to engage with. So we are going to turn the page to the Avengers issues 10 and 11. Both written by Jason Aaron. Issue 10 is art by David Marquez, Ed McGinnis, and Adam Kubert. This is the 700 issue of the Avengers and supersized as it should be. What's bigger than the Avengers team of Iron Man, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider, Thor, Jennifer Walters, Hulk, and Black Panther fighting the new Defenders of the Deep in the South Pacific? I know. You're like, isn't Namor leading Andromeda, Echidna, Bloodtide, the Piranhas, Tiger Shark, King Crab, and Orca enough? Well, it would be. But why not add the Russian super team of Ursa Major, Dark Star, Vanguard, Vostok, Perrin, Chernobog, Red Widow, and the Crimson Dynamo into the fray? It is Super Team Mega Battle Time, where the Ruskies and America's team, well, sort of since that, that changes here in this year, but where they go against the forces of Namor, and you know that's going to go all sorts of interesting since heroes often don't play nice together, especially when they have counterparts of semi-equal strength and power. Also, I just dig that Gorilla Man is the Avengers butler in their new headquarters, and the Bashamups are wonderful, and threats are temporarily thwarted, but you know it's all going to go down somewhere in the future. And then General Ross adds, adds some stuff where you're like, what's going to go on in the future with his own team headed by an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I'm not going to spoil, but it's all super intriguing. And then there's great story, <clears throat> great stories for Robbie. 
Rey as an Odin, Loki with the Celestials, and Wasp. There are two particular reveals in the latter latter two stories that are, are total what-the-heck moments and filled me with joy, especially the very, very last panel of the comic. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, at some probably when I, when I talk about Avengers in the future, uh, characters that are revealed are going to show up. Um, Heck yeah, for a great issue honoring 700 colorful glossies of the Avengers. It, it was full of goodness and then lays out future story ideas that I look forward to with much anticipation. Issue 11, art by Ed McGinnis, Corey Smith, Mark Morales, Scott Hanna, Car- Carl Kessel, and Edric Arseniega. <clears throat> really more, more about the secret team um, that was mentioned earlier. Also, also just deal with this new team Avengers figuring out what to do in the aftermath of the big uh, Namor team versus Russian Avengers team versus them. There's a date for Jennifer Walters slash the Hulk and then uh, Thor and then a peace treaty scene with T'Challa, Shaman, Captain Britain, Sabra, the Arabian Knight, Navid, and Ursa Major. That is doubly great. This totally made me surprised at a certain age in a shield that I'm still keeping secret, but it, it was really dang interesting. Woo for Jason Aaron's Avengers. Ah, it was it was so much fun. And speaking of fun, we're just gonna go to the next and last Marvel comic, which is silly holiday fun. Talking about the Avengers Halloween special, five stories written by Rob Fee, Jerry Dugan, Jen and Silva Soska, Jay Baruchel, and Robbie Thompson. Artists include Ion Maran, Laura Braga, Jonas Scarf. Luca Pizarra and Bob Quinn. Colors include Mike Spicer, Reef Prianto, Jordan Boyd, Michael Garland, and Chris Peter. Really, this is just fun and, and a fun read. I like when they do these specials. Uh, we get Daredevil, the victim of mad science, courtesy of Kingpin, which gives him vision of a sort. The Fantastic Four may not be what they seem, and Doctor Doom is a good guy. Deadpool, Colossus, and Iron Man against Franken, Captain America, the Phantom Punisher of the Opera, which was my favorite of the five. Uh, and then spooky ghost fun at the expansion, really fun Halloween stuff. And I, I wish I'd read it closer to the holiday. It was just still sitting on the, the racks and it hadn't all been bought up. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to pick that up. So I read it in November, but I enjoyed it, but I guess that's a good segue to head to the DC comics that I read. Uh, since uh, I talked about a silly holiday anthology and they had one of their own, uh, although it's a holiday that was closer, but also technically over. Not tech, yeah, actually more than technically, actually over. But I did enjoy the poop out of DC's nuclear winter special. Uh, it's a sort of Christmas based, but it doesn't have to be. You could read it now, it's still winter, so it's still apropos. But this is an 80 page giant with 10 holiday stories. Writers include Mark Russell, Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, Steve Orlando, Jeff Levinus, Tom Taylor, Margaret Scott, Paul Dini, Phil Hester, Cecile Castellucci, and Dave Wilgotts. Art by Mike Norton, Giuseppe Camicoli, Cam Smith, Brad and Dave. Uh, no, sorry, Brad Walker, Drew Hennessy, Christian Deuce, Tom Derenick, Yasmin Putri, Dexter Soy, Jerry Ordway, Phil Hester, and Ande Parks, Aman K. Nahulpan, and Scott Collins. Colors by Hi-Fi, Romulo Fajardo Jr., Nathan Fairburn, uh, Luis Guerrero, Yasmin Putri, Veronica Candini, Dave McCaig, Trish Mulvihill, Brian Bucalato, and John Calise. Ooh. Ten stories, remember? Remember that part where I said it? Like five years ago? <laughs> so lots, lots of names to give credit to. Basically, Rip Hunter crash lands on dystopian Earth future, and to keep from being eaten, he tells nine holiday stories. 
So you get Damian Wayne Batman, who maybe made a deal with the devil versus his grandpa. You get uh, Superman of the Future with an amazing Martian Manhunter tale. Future Justice League versus Vandal Savage, Brainiac, Morgan Le Fay, Ares, and Reverse Flash, which spells out uh, interesting repercussions for the Flash. Old Aquaman in a polluted ocean. Supergirl in a really touching story. Firestorm and the Nuclear Family, which par- parodies uh, maybe Tomorrowland at Disney. You get Commandi, the Last Boy on Earth. Catwoman in a Police State with her niece Sophie. And then Old Green Arrow and Old Green Canary. Or not Green Canary, Black Canary. Uh, yeah. It's really all amazing dystopic futures, and uh, the, there are different ways to see some of our favorite superheroes. I, th- I thought it was all wonderful, especially since they are only stories told by Rip Hunter to cannibals who worship Google, and, and they're allowed to be fun stuff, and it is. It's really good. It's super, super enjoyable. It's, it's silly, but yeah, it's it's fun. I would love someday to, to be able to write one of the, a story like this, and, and the way it's all told with Rip Hunter in the middle is to carry it along it's fun and and it's funny (laughs) it's really good uh now to doomsday clock issue eight written by jeff johns illustrated by gary frank and colored by brad anderson man oh man like these issues are taking a while to come out yet here i sit waiting for them in a story i'm not sure how i feel about sometimes i hoot and others i just read but overall it is an interesting collision of the worlds of dc and the watchmen this one centers on superman firestorm and tension in russia it is really good but time will tell how this all fits into the greater story i like seeing Seeing those two characters plus Lois Lane and Perry White and Pozar and Black Adam and more conflict between the United States and Russia. Um, it's all at full tension, consider, full tension considering all the Superman theory stuff, which has already been established in previous comics. The end of it all is definitely interesting for Superman. There is a mystery here that apparently old Bat, only Batman has figured out. Uh, what's absent here is any of the Watchmen characters other than bookending panels with Ozymandias in the Oval Office. As a standalone issue, it's a good one, but I really think when all 12 issues of Doomsday Clock are, are finally effing done, I'm going to have to read them all together just in one fell swoop to appreciate everything and see how much i enjoy this story that jeff johns is telling um but but i don't know how long i'm gonna have to wait for the next issue so there you go as as a standalone uh this issue issue eight of doomsday clock really good but hey there's only four more until they're done so okay yeah we're already in 2019 it was supposed to be you know whatever whatever it's fine i'm sure i as a person who doesn't currently do comics i'm sure the timelines are crazy um but now we're gonna go action comics issues 1004 and 1005 written by brian michael bendis pencils by ryan sook ink by wade von grob badger which is a great last name colors by brad anderson I've said before that the action story half of Bendis' work on Superman isn't my favorite of the two, but but taking an issue in 1004 and concentrating on the relationships of Superman and Lois Lane was just really great. Uh, there's a brief cameo for Copperhead, uh, but this is all Lois and Clark and wonderful, and who cares about the Red Storm Bandy for at least one issue? I really love this, and I highly recommend it. Then in 1005... 
it uh it goes back to all of the of the red cloud stuff and adds an intriguing connection to dial h for hero stuff plus an appearance by the question more for deputy fire chief Moore, and then the reveal of who the red cloud is the whole fire mess in metropolis may go deeper than anyone thought and i'm, I'm going to be happy for a moment to not only see clark kent do some reporting while also going toe-to-toe with the red cloud in his red underwear bendis is turning my opinion on on this side of the story i uh, i actually really really liked it and then of course there's no worries for me as as far as the story goes in superman's issue five and six this is still brian michael bendis pencils by ivan rice ink by joe pardo and eau claire albert color by alex sinclair i'll admit the way issue five starts had me a bit confused i actually had to go back to previous issues to make sure i hadn't missed something but by the end of this drama between kal-el and rogal czar in the negative zone it makes or not in the negative zone in the phantom zone it makes sense and does add some interesting considerations for the future fate of of all this kryptonian stuff also brings in a new contender that i'm going to keep mum about but any fan of superman will be stoked for this edition kal-el is exactly the hero i expect him to be and while we don't learn terribly much about czar their dialogue is great and the ending is one that necessitates reading the next issue immediately i had to wait in anticipation but since i'm playing catch up issue six uh, did arrive and i did read it um all the things go boom in crazy violent ways it's wonderful lots of kryptonian battling in the phantom zone and then a twist which is so great and leads to a curious cliffhanger all the real goals are stuff it's very good and i'm happy to know why bendis included adam strange earlier it finally finally makes sense for a moment with him there's also still story to come regarding czar and his grudge against krypton also i, I might have to start shouting for candor when i do big things and i think actually that might be a fun title for the mega review view show of comics for this for candor that's why we did it for candor let's see where to go next uh, superman it was fun it's really good brian michael ben is so far so good um of course there's more dc to talk about so let's head to my main man cousin himself he's red he runs super fast the flash issues 57 to 60 all these written by joshua williamson 57 is art by scott collins colors by luis guerrero we conclude all the iron heights mind fire intrigue for mick rory aka heatwave and and him versus the flash goodness for commander cold and iris it ends with some future fun involving barry and iris and a force quest i've been digging what's been evolved so far with the strength of sage forces and i i just really really like joshua williams's writing and i hope you can keep everything up i love my boy flash i like seeing him bond with cold from the future and my hat's really off for dealing with uh heat waves literal demons as well the art is is good and i enjoyed the story much much more than the whole trickster thing that preceded it but you know but then i say that and i'm like oh but trickster had a hulk fight <laughs> and it wasn't hulk but it was great i think what i'm most excited for was the tease at the end of the issue that included johnny thunder issues 58 and 60 pencils by rafa sandoval inked by jordi tarragona and colors by tome moray hi-fi also does color in issue 60 and this starts the whole force quest for barry and iris and they're off exploring the world to discover more about the new forces they're in uh Badnesia, which is a small island nation in the South China Sea, and then their investigation puts them right into the path of new baddies in Belladonna and Santiago, who make up a, a baddie duo called Gemini and have the power to absorb others' powers. There's conflict to be had, 
and a journey that heads to none other than the intrigue of Gorilla City, which you know is going to make me happy since I love my giant fuzzy hominids, and then to a, uh, a, a stuffing Corto Maltese that leads to Flash and Fuerza, who is a new hero in Corto connected to one of the new forces. They face off, and then there's new bad guys and in, in officials of the South American island. Also, blips for Commander Cold and Detective Burns connected to the tricks to reveal from the end of the Strength Force stuff. Actually, quite a lot going on in this in the last issue, and it would be a shame to run any of it. Let's just say there's lots to be learned about the different forces, and I really like how Williamson uses past Flash history combined with new stuff. Also, like the new villain couple, even if they tapered off in the last issue with just a mystery plan in Africa, there's darkness and action and lots of Flashville goodness. Also, Super cool for Barry and Iris to be working together, plus how the story still stays connected to Commander Cold in Central City and previous storylines is just, it's just heck yeah. Heck yeah, friends. It's good. Uh, Batman, issue 58 to 61 and annual number three. These are all written by Tom King. Uh, 58 and 59 are art by Michael Michael Jannon, colored by Jordi Belair. And if you haven't heard, Penguin plays into the newest Batman story and it is Radical. There's so much Penguin here, and he's a complicated criminal with some lovely scenes included for Bruce and Alfred and the giant T-Rex. Lots of previous story mentioned, which ties into where this is all going with what I presume is a big plan from Bane. And whose side the Penguin is on is anyone's guess, but I want to read where Tom King is taking me. It's ironic how much I enjoy reading Batman, considering he's totally not my favorite superhero vigilante. Also a great panel of Batman kicking some henchmen, but the second part of the story, which is called The Tyrant Wing, brings much more for Batman, who does not look like a hero when everything is said and done. He has definitely been affected by recent events of the past, and Bane does figure into the story in a wonderfully deviant way. Gordon and the GCPD are no fans of the Dark Knight criminal when everything is over, and the Penguin is captured so dang good throughout everything. Issue 60 is uh, art still by Janin and Belair, but then there's panels by Jorge Fornes, which are obviously different, but show Batman hellbent on figuring out what's going on with Bane as he beats the snot out of assorted baddies from his rogues gallery. Fornes art doesn't match Janin at all, but the beauty is it doesn't need to since it juxtaposes the different scenes so well, and Batman's descent into being hated is really great. At points you wonder if he's even right. Penguin and Alfred have moments concerning the Shakespearean Phoenix and Turtle poetry that's been throughout this arc and then there's jim gordon dealing with his thoughts about batman considering everything that has gone down and stuff that continues to go down throughout this issue bonus points to to many previous events being discussed including kg beast and there's maxi zeus firefly kite man signal man oh my batman is on the warpath and just when when you like this can't get any crazier it totally does with a big surprise at the end I really, really like Janin's art here. It's still very good, and you cannot go wrong with Tom King's Batman. Issue 61, art by Travis Moore, color by Tamara Bonavillain. It finds a way to, this issue finds a way to twist the origin story of Batman in a very neat way that connects back to events way back in issue 38. What if Batman already existed when young Bruce was dealing with the murder of his parents, and what if that could actually happen but still make total sense in a Batman comic? It does, and it's it's not until the end of the issue that it all makes sense, and you're like, oh yeah, the story did happen, and oh dang, where is this all going? It is a nice turn away from that really great 
Bane story, and in Tom King I trust, he finds a way to interweave all his storytelling that I just enjoy the hell out of. Annual number three uh, is an encapsulated story with art by Otto Schmidt. He finds Batman taking on a villain, calling himself the drone. But the beauty in all this is Alfred gets just as much panel time here as the Dark Knight. Really points to the relationship between the two men and what it means to be Batman's trusted butler and partner that that raised this great detective who destroys himself every night to save his city. Both get to be awesome in their own ways. And I'm not going to spoil where it all goes by giving the title of the story away, but it is wonderful and easily the best of the Batman issues I've mentioned so far on this giant size review of comics, which is far from over. Actually, easily one of the best issues I read of all these issues, if it wasn't for Hulk and Darth Vader, and a comic I'm going to talk about later. Next up, Drowned Earth, issue one with Justice League and Aquaman, written by James Tinney and the fourth, art by Howard Porter, colored by Hi-Fi. This is the new threat for the Justice League, which is Aquaman-centric, since it deals with aquatic space gods and mystical water, which turns everything it contacts into fish monsters. Uh, the way it connects to the whole Legion of Doom stuff is through Black Manta. The Ocean Lords are a fun threat, and while Batman is in a technology-enabled body cast, we get lovely things like Miss Martian and super fast infected Flash, plus Mara working with Ocean Master unexpectedly and Superman finding forces maybe even he can't stop. It all continues in Justice League issues 11 and 12, both written by Scott Snyder. Issue 11 is art and color by Francis Manipal. Wonder Woman is now in the fray with a depowered Arthur Curry, and it's a journey in the graveyard of the gods to see if help can be found against the watery forces that threaten Earth. There's two of them, and then there's Flash, Mare, and Superman, who has an eye patch, uh, versus everyone else, because yes, heroes turn to fish monsters in the Magic Waters too. Batman, meanwhile, is in the Justice League headquarters alone, coordinating it all and protecting the totality that it, that appeared in previous Justice League issues. And all cliffhangs on dire straits for all our heroes to be continued in more awesomeness from Snyder. It is fun. Uh, issue 12 is art by Fraser Irving and Bruno Redondo, colored by Irving and Sonny Go. This is part three of Drowned Earth. Batman has to contend with the Legion of Doom. Aquaman and Wonder Woman deal with Poseidon in the Graveyard of Gods. Eyepatch Superman, Fishy Flash, and Mera also contending with the minions of the Sea Gods. And there's lots of revelatory info regarding Atlantis's history. Plus, uh, any issue ending with the words, release the Death Kraken, is going to make me smile. The whole story ends with Drowned Earth number one, which concludes all of this fun story. Artist Francis Manipool, Howard Porter, and Scott Godlewski, colored by Hi-Fi and Manipool. This is action-packed with some true heroism for Aquaman, coupled with the amazing villainy of Black Manta, while also bringing all our current Justice Leaguers against the watery threats, threatening Earth, uh, and and earth does they don't want earth to become a world of fish monsters under the sway of alien sea gods who have a serious grudge against atlantis because of past past stuff like i said there's 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 a death kraken come on friends there's choices to be made over punishment or fixing the errors of heroes from bygone eras uh, i dug this even if I'll agree that Alien Sea Gods was a stretch, but we know all of this ties into Lex Luthor's plan to rule the world. And as each step has escalated to wildness, you got to wonder where it's all going to go. It is all just crazy. And, uh, and, and Dark Knight's Metal made so much wild stuff possible in a world where the source wall has been broken. If you like Justice League, and especially if you dig Aquaman... Uh, the entire Drowned Earth storyline is going to be right up your alley. I did uh, separate Justice League issues 13 to 14 just because they don't play into the Drowned Earth stuff, but does keep the story for the Justice League moving beyond all that aquatic goodness. Issue 13 
Still James Tinney in the fourth with art by Gillam March and color by Arif Prianto. This is the third part of the Legion of Doom stories. And if you like the maniacal genius that is a Joker, you're going to love this. Repercussions for decisions that Luther made and uh, him dealing with the Batman who laughs put him at odds with the Clown Prince of Gotham. Villain fights are the best and this is chock full of them. Seriously, there's so many and it's delightful. Not just the Legion of Doom of Luther, Cheetah, Grodd, Sinestro, and Joker either. Uh, the potential recruit at the end is also very cool. Way to go, Mr. Tinian. You sort of make me wish this was just bad guy stories whenever I read Justice League. Uh, but we're back to our heroes in issue 14. Still uh, Tinian. Uh, writing but Scott Snyder is also back on the story pencils by Jim Chung and Steven Segovia ink by Mark Morales and Segovia colors by Tomei Moray and Will Quintana this story starts a storyline called Escape from Hawkworld uh, this is Martian Manhunter John Stewart and Hawkgirl off to Thanagar Prime to unravel the plans of Luther um, there's also a brief Batman Wonder Woman and Superman stuff with the mystery of Starman and I think I'm just happy for more Jaro aka baby Starro in a jar the secrets of the universe are being laid bare to our heroes, but the journey to figuring it all out is really, really good, friends. The Thanagar stuff is the majority here, and there are secrets within secrets for both Hawkgirl and John Jones. Really, really fun with a big end that made me smile. And just the way you see Thanagar Prime at first, you're like, wow, that's so cool. But uh, since I already discussed the Batman Who Laughs in the second to last Justice League issue, it's only right that I cover the miniseries that centers all around him. There's only one issue so far, Batman Who Laughs issue one, written by Scott Snyder, art by Jock, color by David Barron. I don't, I don't even know where to begin with this amazing start to this miniseries other than to say it's, it's wild and it's bonkers and I still really don't know what went down even though I've read it three times. Since we're dealing with the Joker toxin infected Bruce Wayne from the dark multiverse, it's only too true that other multiverses might be coming into play. The Batman Who Laughs is a scary mofo and uh, the Batman that, that is up against him is up against big evil. Uh, you know, when, when Batman, regular Batman, is taking down baddies who are towing houses on the highway, he finds a big mystery that uh, is the first time you're like, what? And then there's everything that goes down at Arkham Asylum with, uh, with uh, the main man of evil and then the Joker. And there's also another Batman who doesn't abide by the no gun code that people are calling the Grim Knight. Let's just stop before I spoil anything more and say this looks to be uh, Multiversa Palooza, which is going to be dark and bloody um, how it's all going to connect to uh, to main story action for like Justice League and Batman and everything I don't know but there are five more issues to explain it all and I'm sure lots more surprises to come this is uh, the the dark nightmares with a uh, with the kick stuff that I loved from metal and Snyder is killing it and that pun is semi-intended in a good way uh, with with me glowing from discussing one of the best new comics um, that that came at the end of the year, it's, it's time to go into a current DC event, which is definitely one of my favorite events that I have ever read since I started pulling comics again, Heroes in Crisis. Uh, this is a nine-parter, but there are only three issues out so far. I did catch up with issues two and three, both written by Tom King. Issue 2 is art by Clay Mann and Travis Moore, colors by Tomei Moray and Arif Prianto. Issue 3 is art by Lee Weeks and Mann, color by Moray. And I love Tom King's Batman stuff, but this story about murder and what was supposed to be a safe and therapeutic place for heroes is just all sorts of awesome. So much for Booster Gold and Harley Quinn, but also discuss discoveries of more names 
that we know died at Sanctuary, and the DC Trinity is trying to figure it all out. The big win for issue two is the moment for Harley and the Penguins, and also a big holy wow for Flash and Booster that makes great use of Barry's powers. There's a Batman and Superman moment, which just proves the dickery of the Dark Knight. And then there's heroes confessing confessing to sanctuary panels that are just great. You want to see a snapshot of psychotherapy for Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, Diana Prince, Bruce Wayne, and Superman? Then, then you read this issue. Uh, plus, Batman's a dick, and this event is great. Issue 3 takes us back to Sanctuary before the mass murder. Focuses on rehabilitation, therapy of Lagoon Boy, Wally West, and Booster Gold, and Wow and a Half Friends. This, this is so amazing. It will make you feel things, especially since the end gets you back to the whole mass murder mystery. And it reminds you how many heroes got whacked by either Harley or the greatest hero you've never heard of. The Wally stuff is especially soul hurting and more for anyone who read his previous stuff in the Flash comics. Um, this is crazy good and I really want to read more, but like usual, I have to wait for future future stories. What I can say is that the art is wonderful, the storytelling is great, and like I said, this is probably my favorite event of the current era of DC Comics. Wowza. Um, we're wrapping up. There's one last comic to talk, talk about. Green Lantern, issue two, written by Grant Morrison, art by Liam Sharp, color by Steve Olaf. The weirdness of this new tale for Hal Jordan continues. The comic isn't on my pull list, but I did pick up the second issue for Blue. And once again, we read it together. What's not to like about Volcano Lanterns named Volk, a silly but impressive bad guy named Evil Star, more baddies, weirdo aliens, including one with really big muscles, <laughs> muscles, uh, Oa looking totally cosmic. Morrison is having fun with this, and while the story is still fleshing out, I think this is totally worth getting into on the ground floor if you're a Green Lantern fan. Grant Morrison usually does not disappoint, and it's definitely wild and weird with Jordan back to being a space cop. And it, like I said, wild and weird and good and enjoyable. And uh, totally check it out. But friends, that wraps up everything. Holy gamoly. Uh, I'm pretty proud of myself. We stuck to just an hour and 15. I thought it might actually be longer. But 96, 97 comics. Like, so many comics. For Candor. For you. A giant size fuzzy comic review. And thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I can like have a little bit of comics on every solo episode. We shall see. There's actually, there's, there's four trades that I actually saved and didn't talk about here. So there's, there's more comics coming up and I, I'm sure I'm going to open up that poll box and probably at least read Captain America, but I also sort of want to read Moon Knight and there's Wonder Woman comics in there that I want to read too. So there's more to come. There really is more to Kai. No more to come, <laughs> but, uh, hopefully all of you wonderful fuzzballs who listened enjoyed it. You know the deal. LaughItUpFuzzball.net is the website. LaughItUpFuzzballPodcast at gmail.com is email. The LaughItUpFuzzballs group on Facebook, at WookieRiot on Twitter and Instagram. And I think that's all the things. So before this episode gets any longer, TTFN, love you. Happy New Year. Wookie out. And if you heard some weird noise in the background, that was Arvin doing the Truffle Shuffle. Truffle Shuffle!